This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, as you've been hearing on the news, protesters shut down a BC ferry terminal for a short time this morning in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en people and protesting plans to build that natural gas pipeline. Well, Colin Sutherland-Wilson is joining us again. He is a spokesperson for the group, also a member of the Gitsan Nation. Colin, thank you so much for being with us. No problem. Uh, I know when you were talking on the morning show, things were just uh, winding down at that point. So have things uh, dispersed as far as the protests today? Yeah, it's uh, completely ended at this point, but uh, hopefully our message carries forward. Uh, We were getting word of another pipeline protest uh, in Vancouver at Clark and Hastings. Is that part of your group or is that something completely different as far as you know? Uh, Well, definitely there's a lot of different people working on a lot of different things. And, uh, and I think there's definitely a lot of cry about outcry about what's happening on what's Odin territory. But I can't say that we're affiliated with that group. Okay, fair enough. Uh, talk a little bit about why the decision was made then to focus on the ferry terminal this morning. Well, I guess uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, a point where it could be said that... Uh, you know, the LNG that powers the ferries, you know, is connected to the coastal gasling project, which never received the consent by the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs to go on their territory. So more so, it was not directly pointed at the ferry terminal, but it was to bring attention to the fact that British Columbia is currently criminalizing the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs for asking for consent for things to happen on their territory. Uh, but if that's the reasoning on, so if it wasn't focused against ferries, but part of the reason was because ferries are going to be using natural gas, what's to stop your group then from picking high-rises, from picking condo developments where the individual condo owners have natural gas in their homes and protesting them? I mean, that's a bit of a stretch, but ultimately it was just about making a, a statement to say that you know, all over the province, like regardless of if you're in Victoria or uh, Vancouver or Prince George or where have you, you know, there's a lot of people who have been following the situation up north who find it completely uh, reprehensible that British Columbia has yet to engage in good faith negotiations with the hereditary chiefs and that, you know, this is just kind of one thing and, but ultimately the goal is not to inconvenience or, uh, British Columbians. It's about getting the word out there, getting the knowledge about the situation out there and just trying to raise awareness. Right. But there were a whole lot of people who were headed to the ferries and in that ferry line who were inconvenienced. So if the goal is not to inconvenience them, then why are you protesting at a ferry terminal? Well, I mean, you know, it raises awareness. It raises the statement and the inconvenience that they faced was you know, in my opinion, that pales towards the inconvenience of the the reservation systems, the imposed Indian Act, the ban councils, the oppressive legislation that made the hereditary chiefs an illegal entity on their own land for over 100 years, and the inconvenience right now of the RCMP exclusion zone, which is inhibiting Wet'suwet'en people from accessing their own homeland. And I get that, but to say, I mean, the point of protesting someplace like a ferry terminal, it is to inconvenience. Like, at least yeah. call it what it is. There's there's a reason why you pick a, a ferry terminal. There's a reason why groups pick a bridge. It's to inconvenience people. And it, you know, makes a splash. It raises awareness.
<laughs> what do you say to, to people who are angry about this, who might support what you're saying and agree with what you're saying, but say it's the wrong way to go about doing it? I mean, it's tough, you know, because, you know, my people, the Gixan, we've been trying to raise awareness around these issues for over 100 years. And, you know, Canada is still at the point where these discussions are just starting. So, you know, it's it's not like we have too many options here to actually make some noise. And I definitely apologize if we did inconvenience you because, like, in the end, that is not our primary intention. What we're trying to bring the discussion to is what is happening on Minnesotan land where, you know, any day now the RCMP can enforce that injunction and we might see a repeat of what happened last year, January 7th, where RCMP, I guess, with assault rifles and body armor, essentially dismantled, uh, you know, the the blockade that was set up by uh, unarmed with Soden people. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to avoid violence and I mean, at this point, like, what else can we do? Uh, so is the protest, is your focus then, is it the lack of consultation and the way that the project has moved ahead, or is it the project itself? It is more so to do with uh, honoring what's owed in law. Because the hereditary chiefs made it pretty clear in a press release that they made not too long ago that outlined uh, that they have not given their consent to coastal gassing to work on their territory, that they've asked the province to withdraw the RCMP. And they've also asked for, uh, you know, Premier Horgan and, uh, you know, the leaders of British Columbia and Canada to meet them at the table to talk it through. But so far, the Premier has, you know, even during his tour of northern BC, refused outright to talk with the hereditary chiefs. And that is despite, you know, their shared history in the Supreme Court of Canada, the 1997 Delgamuth ruling, uh, the trilateral treaty negotiations have taken place since '94. Like, by all rights, the hereditary chiefs are the decision makers, but, you know, we feel it's unjust for uh, Horgan to ignore them and also to paint them as dissidents in the media. So does nothing ever change the fact then that they are the decision makers? Because there's been a lot of attention paid to that as well, that even though the bulk of the hereditary chiefs oppose the project, it does have the support of Indigenous groups and First Nations along the project line. It does have the support of the elected leaders. And the argument that one no from a hereditary chief trumps all of that means it shows a complete lack of democracy. Well, it's, I mean, that's kind of a point that comes up a lot, but it's very problematic because uh, it's not a handful of hereditary chiefs. It's all five clans of the Witsoden hereditary chiefs as represented by the five highest ranking chiefs of that group. And all those agreements that were made were made with the band councils, which only have jurisdiction over the tiny plots of land that they call reserves. And essentially, they're all accountable to the federal government for funding regardless. So all these pipelines, none of them actually cross reserve land. And all the land that the pipeline does cross, the band councils would have never had a say on it if the hereditary chiefs hadn't received recognition for their rights and title in the 97 Delgamuk ruling. So where do you go from here, then, as far as future protests or drawing attention to uh, this issue? Well, we just need to get the knowledge out there because the uh, the hereditary chiefs, they are a government that has existed uh, for millennia, like uh, 
they presented thousands of years of oral history in order to prove, uh, you know, that they did have rights and title, that they did have governance. Yet, in the 91 ruling, uh, British Columbia and uh, well, Alan McEachern of the Supreme Court of British Columbia essentially said, you know, we were uncivilized. Uh, we didn't have books or wheels. Like, we were essentially aimless savages. And we had to fight to uh, make the case that our rights and title were never extinguished. And that was all the hereditary chiefs who made that victory happen in 97. And uh, so for right now, you know, this is the continuation of something that's been going on for over 100 years. Since uh, 1912, the McKenna McBride Commission, you know, the Witsowden hereditary chiefs and Gixan hereditary chiefs and other hereditary chiefs representing traditional governments that, you know, not only speak to uh, our way of governance, but also our language, our culture, our history. It's a whole way of life. You know, even going back to 1912, they've been rejecting the reserve system. They've been rejecting the uh, imposed model of governance that makes us dependable on Canada. And so this is the continuation of that struggle. And it's not just exclusive to its own territory, but right now that's where it's most pertinent. So, I mean, we're just going to keep trying to get the word out because it's an important topic that affects all of us. All right. Well, Colin, we will leave it there, uh, but I'm sure we will chat with you about this and talk to you about this uh, in the in the coming days. Thank you so much for being available today. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Colin Sutherland-Wilson, a spokesperson with Solidarity with Wet'suwet'en, also a member of the Gixan Nation.